You are listening to The Music Room with Aileen Miracle. Hi everyone, it's Aileen and welcome to episode 48 of The Music Room. Today I'm going to be talking to you about why I chose to be a music teacher and the steps I've taken so that I still love my job. So this idea actually came to me because uh, a while ago, maybe a few weeks ago, I had a giveaway in my Insta stories on Instagram. So if you're not following me on Instagram, my IG handle is at Mrs. Miracle's Music Room. And I often post in my feed, but also in Insta stories. So I had a giveaway for a gift card on my Insta story and asked for blog post or podcast ideas. And I received so many great ideas. So some of the podcast episodes and blog posts that I am going to be publishing pretty soon are from that giveaway. So one person suggested that I podcast or blog about why I chose to be a music teacher. And I thought that was a a really nice idea. But instead of just talking about why I chose to be a music teacher, I'm also going to talk about the things that I am still doing so that I can continue to love my job. I also want to mention that to find the show notes for this episode, you can go to my blog at mrsmiraclesmusicroom.com and click on podcast and then episode 48. All right, so why I chose to be a music teacher. Growing up, I, uh, probably a lot of you out there are like this, I used to teach to a room full of stuffed animals. So from a pretty early age, teaching was something that was really interesting to me. I also remember tutoring friends at school, like the teacher would often ask me to go out into the hallway and catch someone up if, you know, they'd been absent for a day or whatever. So I think it's something that immediately I was intrigued by and interested in. And then I actually didn't have elementary music. I started really receiving music instruction as part of band. So I started on the clarinet in sixth grade, and then I did end up switching to trumpet in seventh grade. And immediately I was in love with band. I just thought it was the greatest thing. So, you know, once I knew I loved music and I was really interested in teaching, I thought, well, from a pretty early age, I want to say maybe late junior high, early high school, I decided I wanted to be a music teacher. But because I hadn't had elementary music, I didn't actually know that was an option. So I decided I would be a high school band director. So I started attending Central Michigan University. I'm originally from the Detroit area. So I went to CMU and knew it had a strong music education program. And went in, like I said, with the mindset of I'm going to be a high school band director. But there was something about that that didn't quite sit right with me. And I didn't know why. And like I said, I didn't know that there was any other option. So I want to say it was, it might have been the first year I was at Central, I attended a Del Crow's workshop. And Tim Caldwell was the Del Crow's professor at Central. And he taught this Del Crow's workshop. And immediately I was like, oh, this, this is it. This is what I want to do. And actually I ended up taking, we were lucky at Central that we had a Del Crow's class certified instructor teaching or if Anna certified instructor teaching Kodai. So we had all three philosophies at the university at that time. And I really feel like there was a love and respect for all three. You know, it it was not competitive at all. And I ended up taking the Del Crow's class and actually ended up getting like free pedagogy lessons from Tim Caldwell, which was so amazing. And he had me working with like a preschool Del Crow's class. And then I ended up also teaching a Del Crow's class as part of a Suzuki program. And so I was really enjoying the Del Crow's piece of it. I also took an ORF class 
uh, taught by, like I said, an or certified instructor and really enjoyed that. I actually didn't take the Kodai class. I just didn't have enough room in my schedule, but I took another class that was taught by a Kodai trained teacher and really enjoyed that. So, but if I hadn't taken those classes in college, then I, you know, I didn't actually have to take any of those classes. Like I had to take, I think one of them I had to take, but the others were just electives that I either took as part of an elective class or I took it as an extra class because I knew that it would be helpful and it totally was. And then I student taught for 16 weeks at only the elementary level with somebody who was ORF trained and got a lot of great materials there. And then started teaching my first year and wanted to start my master's pretty early on. And thank goodness, I'm so glad I did that. Started doing some research and it was actually the first year that Capital University was doing a master's program with, you know, like a master's with a Kodai emphasis. So you'd get a master's degree and a Kodai certificate. And I actually had a friend from college who was already going through the program. So I talked with her and decided that's what I wanted to do. And so I began my Kodai training. So that's kind of like in a nutshell how I landed up in elementary music. And it was really lucky that at such an early age, I knew what I wanted to do, even if I didn't know exactly what level I wanted to teach at. But still really love what I do. And that's kind of segueing into the next part of the episode, what I do to keep loving my job. So I think sometimes we can go in like bright eyed and bushy tailed and think like this is going to be such an amazing career. But if there aren't certain steps that we take, and this really goes for any career, but if there aren't certain steps that we take, then I think it's easy to become overwhelmed and disenchanted. So here are five things that I do so that I keep loving my job. First, professional development. And this is something that I've been passionate about since the beginning of my career. I attended my first OAKE conference. I want to say it was the first, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was the first year of teaching. I had a couple friends who encouraged me to go to the conference. And so I went and just, it was like a sponge. I soaked everything in and loved every minute of it. And I also started attending chapter workshops So I didn't have a Kodai chapter in my area because I started off in Detroit. So I started attending the Detroit ORF workshops and way back in like, oh gosh, I think it was 1999. That's going to date me. But I attended a workshop by Jay Broker, which was so awesome. I also remember way back in the day, this was my first or second year of teaching. I attended a first, no, it wasn't first steps. It was conversational solfege with John Fireupin. And really liked a lot of his ideas too. So I was going to chapter workshops. I was going to trainings. I was going to conferences, national and regional, anything I could do. Because, you know, this is back in the day too, where, and I've said this before, again, it's going to date me, but you know, there weren't blogs and there wasn't Pinterest and there weren't podcasts. Like it was really just in-person trainings. And obviously my Kodai training too was so transformative. So going to all of those things were so helpful for me. And I am so glad that we have all of the professional development online that we have, but I still think those in-person trainings are so important because I think It's just so easy as a music educator to feel like you're on an island because you're often the only music teacher at your building, or maybe you might have one other person that's there, but maybe they're not even there every day. So to have a place to go like conferences or workshops where people get what you do and you can share ideas and collaborate and vent and whatever you need to do. You know, classroom teachers get that like every day, a lot of times, unless they're the only first grade teacher at the school, if you're at a really small school. But like at my school, there are five or six classroom teacher, four to six classroom teachers at every grade level. And so they have a team that they can meet with every day and we don't have that. So I really think 
for finding your people and just having that network of people that you can collaborate with, but also, of course, collecting ideas and songs and activities and all that good stuff that has really helped me continue to love what I do. Reason number two that I continue to love my job is actually related to attending workshops and conferences, and that's listening to podcasts, not only music education podcast, but also podcast from general education teachers. So like Music Teacher Coffee Talk, shout out to them. I love their podcast and often find myself listening to it and like kind of saying, yeah, 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 like along in the car, nodding my head. David Rao at Make Moments Matter also has a great podcast. There are actually quite a few out there now from music educators, which is so exciting to see that it's kind of become a thing to have a music education podcast and just to be able to listen to someone else's ideas and get more song material and get new ideas. It's great. One that I want to mention that's not specific to music education is Cult of Pedagogy. I absolutely love her podcast. She often has podcasts. I just listened to one about Genius Hour, which I was looking forward to doing something like that in my music room. So I can do a podcast episode or a blog about that later once I try it out in my room. But just being able to listen to that podcast episode and kind of wrapping my mind around it, that was really good. Truth for Teachers is another one that's great with Angela Watson. So I can link to all of those in the show notes. Anna Krusik also has a great music education podcast. Like I said, so many, but I think just I have a half hour drive to work every morning and sometimes a little bit longer. So it's really nice to be able to kind of start my day with some new ideas. All right. Reason number three that I still love what I do is I'm still open to new ideas. So, you know, so often in the educational space, we have new educational initiatives coming at us and it's really easy to get frustrated because there's always like the next new thing, you know, and you hear about something and you're like, well, how can I do that in my classroom? You know, it's not feasible or we're taking out the discovery aspect of it or I don't have enough time with my students. Like there's so many things that we could say that are completely valid. They are valid reasons. But, you know, there are some educational initiatives that I've been exploring that have really been so much fun. And what's great is that I haven't had to set aside what I'm doing with the kids, I can still do a lot of the same things like singing games and listening lessons and improvisation and reading and writing, like all of those great things that we do in a music classroom, I can still do, but I sometimes will structure it a little bit differently. Like maybe instead of having 50 minutes, because I have 50 minute classes for grades one through five, instead of having like a 50 minute lesson with all of those wonderful things, I might have a 30 minute lesson with all of those wonderful things. And then 20 minutes of it might be something related to project-based learning or STEAM, or maybe I'll try every now and then I'll do a centers lesson or that kind of thing. So if you're hearing some of these acronyms and you don't know exactly what they mean, I do have a podcast episode about STEAM, sometimes called STEM, but now usually it's referred to as STEAM, which is science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. That's what it stands for. I can link to a podcast episode that I did with my friend, Emily Anderson Karst. And then I also have a different podcast and blog post about PBL or project-based learning. And that's been fun to dive into. And also I have a plethora of blog posts about centers that I can link to as well. So those are just three that are kind of on my brain right now, but there are other educational initiatives. And like I said, it can be really easy to be like, well, I can't do that. But I challenge you to, when you hear an idea, try to do a little bit of research on it and think about, okay, 
is this something that I think would benefit my students? And how could I fit this in without sacrificing other things that I'm doing with them? Or how could I try it out a little bit and just see how it goes? I'm really moving with some of my grade levels more towards, like I said, having that chunk where we're as a whole group making music together, doing all of the things that I've ever done, but then having a section of the lesson where maybe they have more choice and they get to kind of explore something on their own or that kind of thing. And it's a work in progress, but I really feel like the students have more ownership and autonomy and are really enjoying it. And if that sounds a little bit overwhelming to you, I completely understand. Maybe, you know, just try to do research on like one thing that you've heard about that you think you maybe want to try out and try it with one grade level for one lesson or something like that, you know, and just see how it goes. All right. But I do feel like that willingness to be open to new ideas has really helped me not get stuck in my ways and continue to love my job. All right. Reason number four that I continue to love what I do is that I'm constantly re-evaluating and reflecting on what I can do better. And of course, this is a good practice for any career, but I think it's so important as a teacher. I can, you know, I've been teaching for 21 years, so it would be easy for me to be like, oh, I know what I'm doing. I don't, you know, it's all good. I'm just going to do what I've done before. It's all good. But we all know that when you get in a mindset like that as an educator, you can get burnout really easily. And I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast right now, it's because you're looking for new ideas. You're reflecting on what you can do better. So you're there, you know, but I I just think having that opportunity, sometimes it's just at the end of the day, like I just sit down at the end of the day and be like, okay, what went well today? What didn't go well? Sometimes it's in the middle of a lesson and I'm writing notes to myself as I'm teaching, or I'm completely shifting the lesson from what I had originally wrote because I realize it's not working, but just that constant reflection and adaptation so that it continues to get better has really helped me. And lastly, I just think remembering your love for students and for music and finding joy in those small moments is so helpful. So sometimes it's just a matter of like, we're singing Kingsland together and I'm listening to their beautiful voices. And I just think, wow, they sound good. I'm so lucky to have this job. You know, or sometimes it's choir on choir mornings. I have to get to school a little bit earlier and I have a hundred kids in my room and it's a lot and I haven't had too much coffee yet and it's kind of hard, but then I listen to their voices and oh my goodness, like, don't we have the best jobs in the world? You know, that we're able to sing with kids and make music. It's just amazing. And we had professional development on this past Friday, a few days ago, and we watched a video with Brené Brown. And I had heard of her and I knew she was great, but I hadn't really watched anything by her. So we watched this video, which again, I can link to about gratitude and joy. She was on Oprah. I want to say it was like Super Soul Sunday. And she was talking about joy and gratitude, which I'm not going to do her message justice. So I encourage you to watch the video. But kind of the gist of the message was that you can't really fully experience joy without making a mindful practice of gratitude. And I hadn't really ever thought of, you know, you hear like that phrase, attitude of gratitude, which she talks about in the video. It's more than that. It's really making a routine out of thinking every day, this is what I'm grateful for. Today, I'm grateful for this. And it could be such a small thing. But you know, like as a music teacher, I think that's a really good practice. And as a person, I think it's a great practice. So it could just be like, I'm grateful that they really love that new song that I taught today. Or I'm grateful that the kids are getting better on ukulele. Or I'm grateful that I get to do this every day. 
and there's so many things that can kind of stand in our way and can frustrate us, whether it be like behavior of students or behavior of parents or whatnot, but really trying to get back to why you chose this job and what makes you still love it and being grateful for those small moments, I think is so important. So I encourage you to do that because we really do have a wonderful job and we need to remember it. So I had a fifth grader a few weeks ago. She came for like an extra band class and she's newer to the school. She's only been at my school for a few months. So she came for an extra band class on Friday. I leave Fridays open. So if they want to come for extra band, they can. And uh, she came and she practiced dutifully. She was really working. And at the end of the class, she came up to me and said, Mrs. Miracle, do you like being a music teacher? And I said, yeah, I love it. And she said, okay, I think I want to be a music teacher. And those are the moments. Aren't those the best moments when you have a kid tell you that? Of course, you're not expecting all of your students to, you know, go into music education. But it's pretty cool when they tell you that's what they want to do. But I also really appreciated that when I told her, I love it, I meant it. So I hope that today you'll take some time to think about why you became a music educator and why you still love it. All right, quick little podcast episode today. I want to just quickly tell you about something I'm consuming. All right. So along the lines of Brené Brown, since I absolutely loved this video that I watched about gratitude and joy, and I will tell you, I cry really easily. And I had to stop myself because I was in a room full of my colleagues. I had to stop myself from like sobbing. It was really good. But anyway, so I decided, okay. I need to listen to more Brené Brown. I mean, she probably has audiobooks or something that I need to get my hands on, right? So I just did a quick search of, I thought, well, maybe I wonder if she has her own podcast. Well, it doesn't look like she has her own podcast, but she's been on some podcasts. So one of the podcasts that she's been on is Armchair Expert with Dax Shepard. And I've talked about that podcast before. I love that podcast. And actually, it's been quite a while since I listened to Dax. So I was like, okay, I have to check that out. So I'm not done listening to it. I've listened to maybe like the first... 40 minutes. It's a pretty long episode, but it is so entertaining because it's Dax and Brené is actually really funny too. And it's also really enlightening. So check that out if you like Brené and you like Dax. It's a really great listen. And I will tell you, you probably don't want to listen to it with kids in the car because there's definitely some adult language and adult themes, but it's also like good for your soul and not only to think about things, but to laugh. All right, so that's it for today. Like I said, quick little episode, but I hope, like I said, that you think about why you are doing what you're doing and that you continue to love it every day. Have a wonderful day. 